Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, uphillathlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. We've been very pleased and, of course, gratified that our podcasts are being received so enthusiastically. We've had requests to enable a way for listeners to have a conversation about episodes. We certainly welcome this idea and want to encourage those of you who do want to do that to do so on our forum so that the whole Uphill Athlete community can join in and benefit from this exchange. To do so, please start a new thread on the forum using the title of the podcast under the most appropriate category. Thanks for being part of this community. Welcome to another episode of the Uphill Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Johnston, and today I have a repeat guest, one of our coaches, Kylie Toth. And Kylie lives um, in Canada and skis a lot in the Rocky Mountains. She's a schemo racer and a very accomplished ski mountaineer and climber. Um, and I think she has some really interesting tales for us today and some lessons to be learned. Um, we originally had planned this for um, to do this call yesterday. And I got a email or text, I can't remember which, from Kylie saying, hey, I think we need to postpone. And so we ended up getting on a quick call and um, I realized why we needed to postpone. And that's, I kind of want to start with, with that story, Kylie, before we move on, because I think that was really interesting, you know, what went on and why you needed to postpone. So why don't you give us a, a little, as much background as you can. Yeah, sure. Um, so the reason we needed to postpone is I spent an unplanned night, an unplanned bivy in the mountains. And uh, I think as <clears throat> Scott was saying some, to me earlier, sometimes people um, get the impression that, uh, you know, athletes or mountaineers, we don't run into troubles like this sometimes, but um, yeah, we, we do. And um, I guess where this adventure started was um, we were in the Selkirks in British Columbia and um, wanting to do some reconnaissance for a large traverse there called the Bug Boost to Rogers and um, wanted to put a cache in, so food and socks and stuff for later in this month if we got a weather window to, uh, to go do the whole thing. And um, in putting the cache in, we had this great idea that we'd put it in and then ski out to the road. And we had our maps, our Gaia, um, two people had Gaia, I had Fat Map, and we had mapped it out and it was about 3,000 meters and 25K. So we went in thinking we were gonna have this nice day ski all already. And, um, when we we uh, got in there, dropped off, we couldn't get dropped off as high as we had wanted to uh, because of weather. And so we had to get dropped off in a deep valley. And, uh, and it added 
we had thought about 900 meters, but it was actually more closer to 2,000 meters. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so we're looking, going from a 3,000 meter day to a closer to like a 5,000 meter day. And being overly ambitious, we uh, thought, you know, this is still possible. We will have to ski through the night. Um, but we had been um, in the area closer to Rogers Pass before, so we knew there's a hut. Um, and as we started to ascend some of the south slopes, because it's springtime, there uh, the snow's transforming, and we were soon trail breaking in knee deep powder. And we quickly realized that we were taking twice as long as we should to do the vertical um, according to plan. And so each step along the way, we kind of assessed it. Uh, it's like at first our goal was we'll make it to the road. And then it was like, Hmm, is it realistic to make it to the cabin? And then we even had a discussion and I, I wouldn't want to do this, but I also realized, um, we weren't fully prepared. Um, if we needed to call a rescue or something, cause, um, that is like plan Z. We don't want to do that, but, um, we also, you know, we don't want to injure ourselves out there. Uh, so we decided we could keep going and, uh, we would set times. So we said, if we were at this point by this time, um, we will reassess then. And so we just uh, kept calm and kept going and kept working super hard. Um, and I think along the way, one thing we did to keep us safe was um, there's different route options. There's more adventurous ones. There's this area called the Deville Chimney, where you can do um, a set of three rappels, or you can do this the ski around. And uh, it, we thought, you know, um, faffing about to find the anchors is gonna take time. So it's all about um, trying to be efficient at that point, I guess. And uh, so yeah, we just kept optimistic, but we always had a plan and we always kept talking. And we ended up rolling into the cabin at, at sunset, 8 p.m. Um, it just has a wood stove. We didn't have sleeping bags, so slept on the plywood ground. Um, we could have kept going uh, that night as well. So we had a risk management talk about that. Um, we had camps, but we decided that that would be cutting the margins too small. We couldn't comfortably sleeping bags. So we decided to sleep out the night in, in a safer place, get up first thing in the morning. So I think that's how we we managed to make it a fun trip, but not a catastrophe, if that makes sense. Uh, it's just not push pushing, but still making good choices. And and wouldn't I mean this for someone with your the depth of your experience and your level of fitness, this fell well within your capabilities of handling and making the proper choices and understanding, mm -hmm. having the skill set and also the fitness to, to be able to pull this off. And in my experience, and I, I wanna hear from what your thoughts on this, that those two things in combination are what keep experienced 
climbers alive in the mountains. You know, having that experience, the knowledge of, like you just said, okay, we could do these rappels, but there's a good chance the anchors are covered in snow and how are we going to find them? We can spend a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I think just having that experience to know, the, and then the judgment to make the right choice. That's, you, and, and, and I would guess you would agree with me on this, that you can really only gain that experience one way, and that's by being out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, this was a, a, a fun adventure because, you know, you're getting dropped somewhere and somewhere we hadn't skied before with just our maps and uh, we needed to ski out. So uh, we were mentally prepared for a lot of route finding and adventure. But um, yeah, going back to what you were saying is, is it is experience, but also I think um, still being calculated and calm. So there was a few descents. Um, so when you're doing a traverse like this, you have some data, but uh, you really don't know all the details when you're dropping into a slope. And um, so one of the descents, we built a V-thread and um, the first person went in on belay just because we didn't know what was over a roll. So we were we were still being really calculated because um little mistakes or a little mistake on a traverse like that um would be a big deal like you'd be out for the night injured so i think just not panicking just being very methodical is uh was part of how you know it it was an adventure but not a misadventure i guess sure and and having experienced partners that share those you yes. can bounce ideas yeah. off of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how many of those adventures like that have you had this winter? Has it been, are your other ski tours and bigger trips you've done this winter been a little less adventurous than that? Oh, yes, very much so. I I don't know the last time I've had an unplanned bivy. Like, that's un- very unusual. But, um, I, you know, I think... It, sometimes when you're trying something newer or bigger, um, you do have to push it a little bit. I don't mean safety, but um, yeah, I guess if if you want to get something bigger done, you do occasionally go outside of your comfort zone. So I don't do it very often, but this was one I was really intrigued with and still am. So um, worth uh, taking steps. But even this whole recon thing, is I I think is a smart step because I'm not just blindly throwing myself into you know a hundred and twenty kilometer traverse. So, so yeah. that's still on the on the radar then for you guys. You're still you're planning to go back when the conditions are good. Yeah, we'll see. Um, if we we would not have set any speed records yesterday, turtle records, but. Um, traverses you need really hard um travel conditions and it's you have to nail that just right to to get some speed so um yeah if it lines up yes and if not i I, it's not it's uh not all for naught there's many years uh and the mountains aren't running away so just waiting for a good window Mm -hmm. well in that experience i mean now you have that knowledge of that last part of the trip too how to yeah how to get yourself across that part of the mountains 
but some of your other skiing this winter has been pretty fast. Um, yeah. You know, not turtle-like in, in any way. And no. so tell me about this, your most recent race. It was the North American Championships. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And where were those? So uh, North American Championships for Ski Mountaineering were in Golden, BC this year. Mm -hmm. So uh, two and a half hours from my house, which was nice. And um, yeah, it was the biggest schema race we've had in Canada. There was 150 people racing, which is good. Lots of Americans, so that was nice. <laughs> yeah. The sport's growing, seems like. Yeah, for sure. The uh, it is gaining popularity, and we're seeing crossover other disciplines, which expected uh, with the Olympics announcements. So it's kind of neat to see some new faces. <laughs> and, and what disciplines are you seeing mostly? Where are people coming from into this sport? Yeah, you know what's odd is um, there's a girl in Canada who's, who came second and the girl who won North American Championships, they're both optical course racers. Um, OCR, Barton. I, I wouldn't have that would be the crossover, but it seems to be something they're interested in. And um, they're doing quite well. Um, so that's kind of unusual, but but neat to see. That's mm -hmm. really interesting. Yeah, not what I would have expected. I would have thought they would have come somewhere out of the ski world. Uh, either the mm -hmm. downhill or the cross-country yeah. world, I guess. But, but but obviously they're good skiers. They figured that part out. Yeah. Sure. And how did your yeah, and go? The, oh, go ahead. Excuse me. Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah, no, it, it went really well. I'd say the race at Kicking Horse, the organizers really wanted to keep the technical difficulty of schemo in the race. So all the descents were really challenging, um, double black kind of shoots. Some of them had drop-ins, um, which I, I liked because I do like the ski aspect for sure. Um, and it kept, kept it more engaging, the, the racing. Um, and yeah, no, the race went really well. I didn't know what to expect because of COVID. In Canada, we've had some pretty restrictive uh, rules and we haven't raced very much. I hadn't raced an individual course for two years. Uh, so yeah, you have a lot of apprehension uh, going in, don't know where you're going to stack up. And, but um, I think like I mentioned in the Instagram post, uh, we, we live what we coach. Some of us athlete coaches in that um, the biggest principle I follow is consistency. So for two years, I've still been training just like I had a race around the corner. Um, and it was, uh, it was neat to see that it, that actually does work. Not that I had any doubt, but a little bit, you always doubt yourself a little. And so once the gun went off, how long did yeah. it kind of take you to get back into that, you know, race mentality and what did you when did you start feeling like oh yes I, I know how to do this and i'm competitive and I mean, or did you already hit the starting line feeling that way 
No, it was interesting. I, I would, I had, if I'm being really honest, I, I had a lot of mental struggles going into this race. Um, not, nothing serious. I mean, just like sports psychology. Um, because I hadn't raced so long, there was so many more doubts I felt like. Um, and so earlier that week, I really, uh, was even contemplating maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't go, you know, just end, end on a high note kind of thing. You know, these things cross your mind. Um, but then I, I like to be congruent and I always tell the athletes I coach, like, you have to try. How will you ever know if you don't just try? And so getting to the start line was the biggest battle for me that for that race. And, um, and then I guess how I brought it around was just reminding um, myself that why I like, you know, racing. And at the end of the day, just um, all you can ask of yourself is to, I said, if I cross the finish line and I'm totally worked, that's all I have. And that's, that's kind of what I did. So I was actually pretty relaxed race day because I proce processed it earlier in the week. And then by the time the, the gun went off, I was just ready to um, show up, I guess, the best way I could. And um, I never look behind me when I race. <laughs> it's a funny, funny quirk, but um, just really focused on doing my personal best, I guess, is the, the uh, thing. And uh, I raced very close to first place um, with the first place racer. We were neck and neck. And uh, it made me feel good because at the end she said, that was the hardest race I've done all year. And I was like, yeah, me too. So, you know, when you can say that to each other at the end of a race, I think that's a success, you know, two people pushing each other to their absolute limit. Mm -hmm. Sounds yeah. like you did that for sure. Well, that's yeah. congratulations. Um, how many yes. other races were you able to fit in this, this season? So we had a, individual teams race and then the following weekend we had canadian national championships so then i raced two races there so and earlier in the had just a little practice race so i think only times two weekends it's only a couple of races two or three races this year before yeah yeah for sure yeah <sighs> Hopefully more next year. I know that, that there's lots in the States and now with travel, we can uh, go there a bit more with COVID. Would you say, do they, do these races include a sprint for the championships? And, and do, do you, do you do the sprint? I know it's kind of a specialized event. Yeah. The North American championships didn't include a, a sprint, but um, Nash, our national championships did. Uh, and World Cups do. And I, I do do the sprint racing as well. Um, it's kind of a quirky, contrived version of Schemo, but it's kind of fun. Too. It's really entertaining to watch, I think. And yeah. it'll be well watched at the next Olympics. I think that'll be a good spectator sport. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the, the, that this parallels people's 
experience with cross country skiing when the sprint <laughs> was introduced at the 2000 Olympics um, or 2002, I can't remember, in, in Salt Lake City, um, mm -hmm. where many people, myself included, as kind of a traditionalist, thought, oh, this is stupid, this is a silly thing. And it, it does, first of all, make great spectating, much better than mm -hmm. most cross country ski races. Mm -hmm. But also, as I began to coach more and more sprinters, I began to really appreciate that it's probably the best, I think it's the most challenging event in cross-country skiing, mm -hmm. because you have to have the endurance of a long-distance racer, but you also have to have the speed of the, the sprinter. And so it's more complicated yeah. to train for that event mm -hmm. than, mm -hmm. um, than to train for a, a distance race. But I would suspect it's just, you know, Schemo is just 20 years behind getting that sorted out. And I'll mm -hmm. bet you eventually it'll be you know, more mainstream, more accepted. But it is fun to watch. I, I enjoy watching sprint races. They're so exciting. They only last three or four minutes. So, so. Yeah, um, I, I think you're right. It's like with Schemo Nordic and even when I watched uh, the climbing, uh, speed climbing, the one, there's no margin for error. Everything it's almost luck but it's not it's skill you practice those skills over and over and over to do them really fast but um the person who wins or is in top just hits everything perfect it just just really nails all those little skills rapidly so yeah yeah it's kind of yeah. complicated to train for and, and it requires it requires the discipline different than just going out and skiing in, you know you because you like you said you have to practice those transitions and get really fast at them because a second or two here or there makes a big difference in those races yeah i think i was thinking about that this year with the training and uh i will see how it goes but my theory with the the uh, sprint racing and and maybe other sprint events is the more you practice and like honestly like every second day or day just those movements even slow and methodically, I think it becomes so second nature that when you go to do <clears throat> your event, you're just on autopilot. And I think that's the goal. But um, so many things can play into that too, nerves and stuff. But I think the more repetitive practice you can do, the, the more it's second nature when you show up for your event. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, and it, because it, it's even more complicated than, than Nordic sprinting, where you, you know, Nordic skiing, Nordic cross-country sprinting, you don't have to take your skis off. So um, you put them on yeah. your back and hike up a hill. It's, it's more just you know, how fast you can get around that course. Um, well, yeah. I know you had one, at least one of your sons that you introduced to ski mo racing this winter. Um, that was back in mm -hmm. I can't remember, it was mm -hmm. November or December yeah. when you very proudly told me that you'd taken him to his first schema race. Did he do more? Yeah, so he did more and just recreational style races. So he's, he is enjoying it. Um, I had a teammate actually travel to the States a bit to race this winter and said that there's a lot of juniors in the U.S. too who are picking it up. So um, yeah, super excited to see the next generation and the development aspect there. And also balancing that out with just taking them out and, and having fun ski tours too, because 
um, just growing that passion, I think, is uh, as important, if not more, than the racing side. Because, uh, yeah. Well, if they're going mm -hmm. to be successful at racing, you know, it's not going to be you know, in, until they're in their 20s, at least somewhere. Exactly. So you, they need yeah. to be passionate about it now yeah. to, into, in order to sustain their desire to, to train later. It's the mm -hmm. same with cross country, I believe. Um, yeah. I, I have seen in the results of some of the U.S. races, you know, quite a number of U14s and U16s. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. that's great that there's that yeah. young, the juniors. That's what you need for the sport to mm -hmm. grow. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. The next generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and have yes. you, I mean, your kids have been around you doing this now for a long time. Is it pretty easy for you to manage your time around training and traveling to races and your family? How do you balance all of that stuff? Yeah, no, it, it's, I've been doing it for a while now because my kids are nine and 10, but you're you're right balance is the word and um and being organized so you know um it uh it's it's year round so for example in in the summertime when i train they're home from school uh i will get up very early like five or six and get my training in so that i have the day with them because i have to take care of them so i think it it's prioritizing like you have to you have to know why you want it and you have to want it and then you have to fit it into your schedule i think almost everybody has the time if it's something they they really want um and that's kind of what i've arrived at with the kids but in terms of balancing it uh in the winter like i was just in jasper for canadian nationals and and my kids came uh and I, and my cousin actually came with me too, and she brought them to cheer during the race. But um, yeah, honestly, it looks like you cross the finish line, you throw on warm clothes, and then you go ride lifts with little kids for the rest of the day. So, <laughs> you know, there's no rest. Um, yeah. Not ideal and, recovery after a race. <laughs> oh no, no. I think as a mom, or, and dad, I don't want to be, <laughs> but especially as a mom, going through those years where the kids wake up uh, at all hours, you realize that you can do a lot more with a lot less rest than you thought you ever could. Um, honestly, I getting up little kids when they're little is way harder than any physical schemo thing I, I, I was, that was the tired I've ever been in my life was day in, day out with kids. So I think kids give you a lot of perspective on life and, uh, and uh, yeah, just little things. I mean, I love racing, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a race, you know, uh, over. You take the bib off. Go yeah. Home. Yep. Go skiing with your kids, you know, whether, whether you win or lose, they don't care. They're like, how did you do? And the, did you win? And sometimes it's yes. And sometimes no. And they're like, okay, like let's go ski that black diamond mom. And you're like, all right. You know? So <laughs> yes. I think, I think that that perspective is, is really helpful. And, um, but yeah, I, they don't I'd take say, it too seriously. No. Okay. Yeah. And it helps you not to take it too seriously because um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's a passion and, and we all love our, our athletic pursuits and, 
and go out there and, and do our best. But, um, you know, you're, for me, my, my family is, is way more important than that kind of, of thing. And, uh, yeah, so I think it just helps to keep it all, all in check. You know, it's mm-hmm. some of the more successful cross-country ski racers, you know, people at the World Cup level that I've worked with and, and have known personally. I think one of the keys to their success is maybe there's not a family, but they've got something else in their life yeah. that helps them keep it all in perspective and gives them something else to focus on besides just the training and the racing. Because if you have, mm-hmm. if you're just sort of monomaniacally focused on training and racing, then the slightest little thing can set you off and make you feel terrible about yourself. And, and you think mm-hmm. your whole life is nothing but this sport. And so I think mm-hmm. it, for mm-hmm. all athletes at every level, it's really helpful to have that perspective. And, and kids, I'm sure, throw it right in your face. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no denying that you know, this is a big responsibility and it's actually, it is a whole lot more important than the ski race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, you, on the flip side, I, I think one of the things I do love about Schemo is the places it takes, not just me, but my whole family. You know, we have a lot of fun times checking out mountain huts and different ski resorts. And so um, I think it enriches sport can really enrich your life. But yes, as you said, uh, keeping it, keeping it in check so it doesn't, um, I guess, dictate your whole identity or your, your emotions too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a healthy attitude, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, well, any closing thoughts for us, Kylie, that, you know, anything that, that I haven't touched on that you wanted to bring up? Um, no, I guess the only, the only thing I would say if, if someone is, you know, thinking about doing a race and hasn't raced for a while since COVID or, a big climb or some big goal, the biggest take home that I had solidified from racing this year is just get yourself to the start line. Um, that's half the battle. You know, you're winning if you, if you, if you put yourself out there. So I guess, um, that would be what I would say is, uh, you know, go for it, give it a try and who knows. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Thank you. That's really yeah. good advice. I think all of us can use that every time, every mm-hmm. now and then we need a little shove to, uh, yeah. to get over the, the finish line or even get to the start line. So yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Kylie, for sharing this and, um, and especially your mountain adventure story. I think that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a pretty, pretty real and, um, and a good, some really very valuable lessons for a, a lot of our listeners there. So thanks for sharing that. No problem. Thanks for chatting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alrighty. Well, bye-bye. See you. Bye. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. Thank that was fun. No problem. I, I think that's a, that was, that was good. I appreciate your willingness to do that. I didn't sure. know how secret your plans were for the bugaboo to Rogers traverse. Yeah, no, as I said, like, I hope it goes, but if it doesn't, I'm, I, I know I'll try it one year, but, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to nail the conditions. So just keeping an eye on it. Yeah. 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 And 
Yeah, it was, it, you know, it's really humbling. Not that I, I thought it was going to be easy in any way, but so my partner, John Walsh and two guys were the first people who did this traverse in 72 hours. Mm. And then it was done last year. A guy named Greg Hill. Um, oh, I, I, Adam, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Name. Adam Campbell and another guide, Andrew McNabb. And they did it in 50 hours. And um, yeah, it's, it's a big, big challenge. Like the terrain is huge. The hazard is, is big. You have to ski through the night, through complex terrain. So there's a lot of pieces that, um, yeah, I, I, I'm really happy I did the recon for uh, baby steps in the right direction. Sure. But yeah. it's huge, huge respect for those guys. Not that I didn't already have respect yeah. for them. But. No, I, I know what you're uh -huh. saying. I understand completely. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, that the first, it's like the four minute mile, you know, you know, your partner, John went out mm -hmm. there and proved, oh, this can actually be done. And once someone else yeah. sort of breaks, you know, sets that bar for you, it's like, okay, now we know it can be done. How fast can we do it? And, yeah. and I would, I would, did the those second the second group there did they get some beta from john and his partners so that helps yes yeah, so every group learns a little bit so they were 20 hours faster but you know uh it's funny over that long of a time hours just torch up like yeah. you know mm -hmm. um but they did they did definitely get some some beta for sure the thing that um I think for me will be tricky as I'm not from Revelstoke and Golden. Both those teams were from that area. So we're more familiar with the train. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really wanted to do uh, a bit of a, a recon, but you know, I have to hand it to John, your, your guys's generation. Cause John's 48. So he's a little bit older than me. You, you know, there, you, Steve and, John and you guys, there is a certain amount of just throwing yourselves in there that, that you had that I think our generation, like, um, I don't think we lack it, but it's, it's less common. So like John was the one, he's like, just get yourself in there. He's like, you have the skills to, to get yourself out, you know, even if something goes wrong and, and it did kind of, but, but we were never in danger. You know, like it was still, and I think, uh, yeah, I think getting that push sometimes is good to, from the heart, the old hard men like you guys. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I wouldn't consider myself in that same category as John. Oh, Steve, I don't know about sure. that. But I do yeah. think you're, you know, what I'm, I revel often in what the accomplishment of the younger generation, you know, whether you know, I've been climbing or skiing. I mean, I'm just amazed. Yeah. And, you know, I, I acknowledge that part of it is, oh yeah, a lot of these trail paths have already been done before there, you know, the yeah. people have gone before to set the, set the standard. And, um, mm -hmm. But nonetheless, I'm just, it's remarkable to see how fast people are doing things or how hard yeah. people are climbing. Um, yeah. And I think part of, like Steve and I were talking about this when we wrote the first book, that you know our sport the sport of alpinism was really in its infancy 
And I actually, I don't know if I, I don't think I put it in the book. Maybe I did, but I went and looked at the progress of the marathon time. Yeah. And how, you know, how slow the marathons were for a hundred years. They were really slow. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden this time just got, you know, over the course of, you know, 50 years, the times mm-hmm. went from like, you know, four or five hours to, you know, two and a half, two ten, two fifty, that sort yeah. of thing. And it's as the sport matures, people understand it better. They know how to train. Um, and it's been proven to them that other people could run that fast. And I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, certainly in, you know, and I'm 68, almost 69 years old. So I'm even of another generation um, that I think that, what we're seeing is, you know, we were stumbling around, we were in the four hour marathon time. <laughs> we were just stumbling around trying to figure this stuff out. And yeah. now we're down, we're getting down into the 210 range of the marathon with climbing and alpinism and yeah. skiing and all that. And it's really exciting to see that the sport yeah. has come, come so far. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, maybe it, it doesn't, well, there's still a lot of people out there doing very, very adventurous, cutting edge things. Oh yeah, there are. Yeah, plenty of that. But also, these there's people who are more pushing the limits on whether it's the technical difficulty or the speed of these things. Yeah, I, I think that it just made the sport richer, in a way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All these yeah, it's sports. yeah, it certainly does. Um, yeah, I don't. Are you familiar with uh, climber Quentin Roberts? I know uh, the name, but not no. Not really. Yeah, like yesterday when I spoke, he spoke too, and he's a climber, and he did a bunch of stuff in Patagonia. Um, and again, yeah, I was reminded of uh, yeah, there is a generation out there like Quint the Quintons who are still, you know, just pushing and. Uh, challenging the themselves. one that did the solo traverse mm-hmm. of of the uh the torres yes mm-hmm. oh gosh yeah i didn't know i didn't remember his name but i watched a youtube video of that holy yeah. cow that's yeah, yeah. that's yeah, right out there <laughs> yeah yeah for sure but um you know it's it's it yeah it's a, it's a fine line though between like I have to say, when we got dropped off there in the middle of nowhere, there was a moment where I was like, "Oh God, like, <laughs> what have I gotten myself into?" Um, so it is a it is a fine line between uh, putting yourself in there and uh, and also staying safe for me because I have uh, responsibilities and my risk tolerance maybe isn't off the charts like John's is. <laughs> So, yeah, well, I don't think yeah. it, I mean, I think there's something about motherhood that, you know, it takes yeah. precedence over all of that stuff anyway. But, you know, I, I think it's kind of neat. If I do go through with the whole traverse, my process will be very different from the boys' teams. They both, um, they didn't bring sleeping bags and they both just sort of threw themselves in. Like they knew the roots somewhat but I'm taking a more calculated approach. Like I'm, I've pre-skied like half of it. So I'm familiar with it and I might go recon the other half. Mm-hmm. And then also just more calculated with food and a sleeping bag. So we'll see, like it could be, it could work. It could mm-hmm. n- not to be mean, but, or rude, but 
stereotypically like I'm doing much more organization like a girl would <laughs> right, rather than the guys and, just jumping in there and saying okay let's yeah. see what happens yeah 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 which is kind of funny so we'll see we'll which see can get, I can backfire yeah. a, a lot of times will backfire on those guys <laughs> maybe not these I guys in particular but guys in general have a tendency to kind of you know, not yeah. look before they leap now is this the same traverse that chick scott originally pioneered yeah mm -hmm. okay. yeah it's pretty classic in canada uh, some americans come to do it it's typically done over like a week mm -hmm. um it's it's so beautiful i mean you start in the bugaboos and ski all through the purcells and selkirks to rogers pass it's it's incredible it is um, all i've been in all of that terrain never not yeah. on that traverse but yeah it is it, yeah those mountains are among the most beautiful mountains in the world my favorite some of yeah. my favorites yeah yeah they are and and wild too yeah. like so that's the, I mean, the, maybe mm -hmm. outside of outside of the karakoram i think it's probably the wildest mountains yeah, that's the that's the piece that is hard. It gets hard for me to reconcile sometimes. Is is you're you're really self supported out there, yeah. it which is 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 uh, intimidating for the mm -hmm. when you're going quick quickly. I guess yeah, yeah. for sure. But I mean, anyways, are, it's good to talk. Yeah, yeah thank you, and uh, yeah, um, congratulations on your race results. Thanks. Yeah, it was a good season. It was fun. Okay. Cool. Bye-bye. Alright. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com.